I just last month, there was a great event in Orlando at Camping World Stadium. It was called The Send. And um, at The Send, some of you probably heard of it, there was about 60,000 Christians gathered to, uh, the theme was declare war on inaction. And it was a large scale, a recommitment and rededication to the work of the gospel, to global missions, to evangelism, to the foster care system, to poverty, to injustice. And uh, I went in the evening, it was like a 12 hour event, long 87 degree day in February in Florida. And I got there in the evening about six o'clock in uh, there was just the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was powerful. People were worshiping. There was worship music going on. 60,000 people together in one stadium raising their hands to Jesus. Very, very powerful event. And I want to tell you just a couple of things that I experienced in the short time uh, that I was there because I'm excited about some things that God is up to in the world. Uh, so first of all, there was a gentleman named Todd White who has a very powerful healing ministry um, around the globe. And uh, he came out onto the stage and he said, some of you gave your lives to the Lord Jesus today. And I know that some of you you have wounds on your body from mutilating yourself or from putting drugs into your body. And he said, the Lord is healing you right now. He asked, is there anybody with those kind of wounds? And people raised their hands. And he said, the Lord Jesus is going to heal you right now because that's not a part of your identity anymore. And I kid you not, you could look all around the stadium and see people jumping up and down and screaming and crying with joy because wounds had been removed from their body miraculously. Somebody who was closer to the stage than I was says that there was a 16-year-old girl that everybody around her could see that she had scars up and down her arms from cutting. And after the prayer was said, she was jumping up and down and her arms were free of scars. Friends, this, the miraculous power of the gospel, it's supernatural. Uh, and then another thing happened that I had never seen happen live before. Somebody came out who had a prophetic gifting to be able to give what we would call words of knowledge about people, which in the Bible, the purpose of those is to encourage and build up and console the saints. And uh, this gentleman came out and he began to call people out by their first name, their middle name, their birth date, and tell them and proceed to tell them what the Lord was calling them to. It was an amazing thing. And then I did research on the internet to make sure it wasn't all staged and it wasn't because some of the people uh, wrote up reports or made videos on YouTube to say um, he did not know me. It was not staged and everything he said was dead right. The Lord, I was there from Washington and the Lord was sending me to Pennsylvania. My parents are from the Ukraine, just like he said. It was amazing. And I tell you these things because I'm excited that God is up to something and the city beautiful of which, in which we all live and love, got to be a launch pad for missions and ministry across the globe. Jesus is on the move, friends, and I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to tell you that if you have given your life to Jesus, you are a part of that movement. There is a call on your life and there is a sending on your life to live out a particular purpose or destiny, if you will, of which God will provide for you and equip you what he is calling to. And maybe some of you know what that is already and some of you haven't yet discerned it and maybe you'll wake up tomorrow and know. But the story of Moses that we hear today is a beautiful story about how God calls us and equips us for the journey ahead. So we're going to camp out in Exodus chapter 3 this morning, um, tempting to preach on the on the, uh, the, the heavy passages of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 um, in the gospel, but I feel that the Lord wants us to look at how he calls and equips us, because as we move through Lent, we're continuing in our theme of moving toward Jesus, and this passage is going to help us do that. So first, let me say this about Moses. Moses is a broken guy. 
Okay, Moses does not walk around with a halo over his head. Do you know what just happened in Exodus chapter 2 before we get to chapter 3 today? Moses saw uh, one of the Egyptians beating up on one of his Israelite buddies, and you know what he did? Beat him to death and buried him in the sand. So Moses says murder on his conscience. He's a broken man with sin in his life. And yet God singles him out and calls him for a particular purpose. Now, uh, we've all heard the story of the burning bush before. Uh, just a couple things about that. I'm not going to read that whole text again. Uh, but what's amazing to me is Moses is just out. He's having just a regular day tending to the sheep flocks, same as usual. And all of a sudden he sees a, 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 a burning bush, a, bur- a bush that is bursting with flames and yet not being devoured. You see, the fire of the Lord is not a fire that condemns and devours and burns up, but it's a fire that reveals his glory and his goodness. And Moses begins to walk over it and he's like, man, am I seeing a mirage or what? Am I just dehydrated? And he begins to walk over it and the Lord says, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) And I think Moses begins to realize what's happening at this point. And he says, you must take off your shoes because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, that does not mean that this particular area in the desert had some special significance to it. The special significance uh, in this moment was that God's presence was there very powerfully. His glory was being manifested. That's what makes something a holy place. And so he tells Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And then to confirm who he is for Moses, he tells him, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you remember last week we talked about Abraham. And uh, Abraham's call to go on a great journey and to become a blessing to all the nations of the world. Now, with Moses today, we're 400 years later, and God is showing up and saying, I have not forgotten my people. This is who I am. I'm the God who made a covenant with Abraham to bless all of the world, and I am carrying forward my mission and my purposes. And he says to Moses, The Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. So you know the situation. The Israelites have ended up in bondage to the powerful empire of Egypt, and they are worked as slaves. They are brutalized. They're the Pharaoh, King Pharaoh has tried to pull off an infanticide and getting rid of all the male children so that there would be no great Israelite people to be able to escape from under his uh, tyranny. And the people are crying out to God. And God says to Moses, I hear my people. You see, God, his call of Moses is his compassionate response to human suffering. In this case, in particular, the Israelites. You see, God is no different today. Your call is God's compassion, is born out of God's compassion to save the world, to heal it of brokenness, to relieve people's sufferings, to forgive people of their sins and to reconcile them to their heavenly father. We read about Jesus constantly in the Gospels when he goes and looks out at the crowds that are following him around and it says he observed the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, it's a defining characteristic of the God of the Bible is compassion, especially upon those who are suffering. And God tells Moses this. Here's the game plan, bucko. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That means a great land to have cattle and there's going to be uh, 
palm trees with dates. That's where they get the syrupy honey stuff. It's the land of flourishing that he's going to take them to. But you see, God has a specific plan for his people. He has a specific destiny for his people. And he tells Moses, it's the land of all of these people. And I'm not going to say it because Sue did such a good job of saying them all up in the, in the pulpit. But it's the land of all these people. And I'm going to give it to you as your inheritance out of pure grace because you're my people. And I'm responding to your suffering. See, for Israel, the promised land was called Canaan. For us, for God's people today, the promised land is of a glorious new heavens and earth in the presence of Jesus eternally. We are also wayfarers on the way to our promised land. Now, um, Moses, God says to Moses, so come, I will send you. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, God's norm, it's not to snap his fingers and just change the situation like some kind of magician. He's not a sorcerer. His, his primary method is to call people like you and me, broken people like Moses, to cooperate with his purposes to achieve his goals, to achieve his good purposes for the world. Jesus said to his disciples, as the father has sent me, so I send you. I send you out. And then again, at the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells them, go, go and make disciples of all nations. He sends them out into the world, baptize them, teach them everything that I have taught you, teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. You see, God is ascending God who calls his people to go out into the world to make his goodness and his love known. He calls us to go out in the world to do that. And Moses, Moses will be God's means of liberating an entire nation of people from slavery and bondage. Guess who gets to be God's means of liberating people today from the bondage of sin and sickness and poverty and oppression and injustice? Look around you. What a privilege. What a privilege that we are called. I'm excited personally because I see uh, Christians coming alive in their hearts in this church and, a, and beyond. And I see a new generation of young Christians coming up who are realizing that it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to realize that being a Christian does not just mean going to church on Sunday and being a more or less good person. It's about so much more than that. It's about being sent into the world, into the power of God's Holy Spirit to make his name and his love known. Thank you. I knew there was going to be a Baptist out there. Praise God. So here is a question to ask ourselves, for you to ask yourself. And I really mean this this week in your prayer closet. God, how are you calling me to bring people to Jesus, to alleviate suffering in my own community, to make your fatherly, lavish, indulgent love known to the world? See, lately I had this realization that um, I preached a lot about evangelization and telling people about Jesus, but I wasn't doing a whole lot of it. It was very spotty in my life. And the Lord was telling me, you keep telling all these people and trying to send them, but what are you doing? You're not doing a whole lot. And so I had to make this, uh, uh, this, I had to take uh, this word from the Lord and actually repent, which means to change my mind and to do something about it. And I had to change my mind. And so I committed to the Lord starting in Lent that I would talk to somebody that I did not know, at least one person about Jesus every week, at least one person. And sometimes it's awkward and it doesn't work out. And people, 
they, 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 they have, want to have nothing to do with what you have to say. They do not want the prayer that you can offer them. And sometimes it's an amazing divine appointment where someone is encouraged or becomes aware that God loves them and cares for them. Now, I love Moses' response. We can all identify with it, hopefully. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's got to be thinking, oh, gosh, does he know I just killed a guy? Who am I that I should be called to go to Egypt? You see, it's an appropriate response, one that we should follow, one of humility. Who am I, Lord, that you love me so much in all of my brokenness that you would want to use my messed up, broken, imperfect life to do amazing things in this world, to do amazing things in this world. I wonder how many of you have had an impression or an inclination to start some kind of ministry or some kind of service to others that would bless them in Jesus's name. And you became, uh, you, 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 you talked yourself out of it because you said, I'm not worthy or I don't have the resources or the ability. Can anybody relate to that? As I was uh, praying through uh, this and preparing this sermon, I felt like maybe somebody here uh, today had thought about starting some kind of letter writing ministry, maybe to children in impoverished countries or something like that. And so if that's you, please go after that. Um, but I wonder how many of us have talked ourselves down from what something that God was actually calling us to do in boldness. I wonder. <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let me read you this beautiful quote that I read in a book this week. He says this, We are often more convinced of our own unworthiness than we are of his worth. Our inability takes on greater focus than does his ability. And this, listen to this, this is great. But the same one who called fearful Gideon a valiant warrior and unstable Peter a rock has called us the body of his beloved son on earth. That has to count for something. The very fact that he declares it makes the impossible possible. Friends, you serve and know a God who makes possible the impossible, who has unlimited resources and abundance to provide for what he calls you to. Take risks, take leaps of faith when you hear his voice. Now, here's how Moses responds, uh, how God responds to Moses. He says, you know what, Moses, you're right. You don't really have very many skills or abilities and uh, you're kind of a sinful guy. So, you know what, go home and watch the game. I'm going to get somebody else. Is that how God responds? No, he doesn't respond that way. He says to Moses, Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. You see, when God sends us, he empowers us by being with us. When God sends us, he empowers us by being with us. You see, this is the unique thing about Christianity is we're not some kind of a slaves trying to hope that we can make our master happy. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, I no longer call you servants, but friends. I call you into walk with me in this relationship of intimacy, and I'm going to do amazing things through you. And actually, what I really want out of this is just intimacy with you. And the Bible tells us later that Moses, because of his constant being in the presence of the Lord, was, a, was considered a friend of God. Jesus calls us into the same friendship. It's amazing. Some of us have thought about um, the ministries that God has called us to as some kind of heavy duty or obligation when it's actually something he wants us to delight in and to enjoy his presence in. It's a big difference. When uh, Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, he tells them, 
And you're supposed to hear an echo in Matthew's gospel because we're talking about the God of Israel in the flesh in Jesus. And he says to his disciples after saying, go and baptize and teach and, and, and take my, take me to the world. He says, behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. How is it that Jesus is with us until he returns? How is it? How's Jesus with us until he returns? Holy Spirit, yes. The Holy Spirit. And so when you and I go out into the world and we relieve poverty in Jesus' name, or when we lay hands on the sick and see them healed, when we tell someone about what Jesus has done in our life, when we forgive someone who we really find difficult to forgive, when we create beautiful art or music for the glory of God, anything, the Holy Spirit is working in and through us to advance God's purposes in the world of restoring his creation and restoring people to relationship with himself. That's the Holy Spirit working in us. Now, while God is with us and he provides his resources and power, we have to know this, the process of achieving our purpose is not always enjoyable. So I just want to talk about process for a minute because Moses had to go through a process. God didn't just like teleport him around into the, the great and glorious things of being up on the mountaintop and talking to him. Moses had to keep going back to Pharaoh 10 times over and saying, let my people go, let my people go. This huge, evil, powerful tyrant. Moses had to keep going before him and saying, the God of Israel commands you to let his people go. He did not enjoy that. He did not enjoy wandering around in the wilderness with thousands and thousands of whiny, groaning, faithless Israelites. In fact, Moses complained about it to God a lot. I'm tired of these people. Joseph did not like his process of being sold into slavery by his brothers or going to prison by being falsely accused of assaulting someone. But the Lord was raising him up to use him for his glory and to put him into a, a, a position of prestige and influence to influence for the kingdom of God in the land of Egypt. Our process is not always going to be enjoyable. It won't. I love what St. Paul says to the Philippians, and you just hear this coming out of his heart. He's, he's writing to the Philippians, and he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Would that we embrace that same call to share in the sufferings of Christ on behalf of the gospel. You see, the call to serve Jesus and to make his name known is a call to die to ourselves and to rely wholly on the power of the God who raises from the dead. Amen? Come on, where's my Baptist? you. We heard a parable from Jesus today, um, some, some, some very difficult and severe words from Jesus. Uh, he tells this parable about the fig tree. And um, there's, there's, a, there's a farmer or the man who owns the tree, and he's, he, it's in his vineyard. And he says um, he's coming to look for fruit on it to see if it's been producing fruit. And there's been no fruit. And he says, it's been three years and this tree has not produced any fruit. Cut it down. And the gardener says, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me tend to it 
and then give it one more year and we'll see if it bears fruit. Now, what's Jesus trying to say with this parable? He's speaking primarily first and foremost to Israel, his people, who have become overall a people who are no longer bearing the fruit of being God's people. They have become, um, they have embraced religion, which is form without power. Um, and they have lost their actual relationship with God where they would make his name known in the world. They have abandoned uh, the weightier matters like justice and mercy, Jesus says, while keeping up the appearance of religion. And so Jesus is telling this parable to them, and I think it rings true for us, that he's serious about lives that declare war on inaction and that bear fruit for his kingdom. Because a dry life that is not bearing fruit for the kingdom ends up becoming a dead tree. And a dead tree is of no use. And a dead tree has no life in it. Now, I love what the gardener says to the man who owns the tree. He says, and this is an important detail that Jesus puts in there. He says, let me, let me dig around it. Do you know what happens when you dig around the soil? It allows water to pour in. What are the ways in that the Holy Spirit needs to dig up fallow ground in our life so that the water of his Holy Spirit can come in and, and renew, renew us and revitalize us once again? Some of us here today need that so badly, so badly. And the Lord wants to give it. That's the good news because he's good and he wants to give that to us. Now, there's a danger in uh, coming away from this and trying to frantically like come up with a list of things to do for God. Oh, God, I could do this for you. I should do this for you. I should do this for you. God does not want you to have anxiety about this, but he does want you to press deeper in to your life of prayer and to ask him, what are the things you are calling me to? What are the things you are calling me to? Where am I spending way too much time? Some of us, it's three to six hours of television a night. That's not Jesus's plan for your life. I'm not anti-TV, but you see, he has something so much more exciting and so much more fulfilling for us to be doing with our short time here on this earth to advance his kingdom and to make his name known. Friends, you see, Moses is sent and the disciples of Jesus are sent and we are sent out into the world. You see, Jesus, he never said, develop awesome programs at your church and the people will just come pouring in. Now, you know that I believe in awesome programmings and programming and doing wonderful things, events at our church to invite people in. But you see, there's so much more than that to do because Jesus says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Go and make disciples of the nations. And I'm committed to us being a church where people are equipped, equipped with a prayer life and with a knowledge of the word of God to actually be able to go out into society and transform it by preaching the gospel and and proclaiming the love of Jesus. I am committed to that personally. And that's also a plug for small groups. If you're not in one, please plug into one because major discipleship happens there. Major discipleship happens. Now, Coming to a close here, uh, I was thinking, what, how do we get excited about this? Not just on Sunday while we're at, at church, but how do we find direction as we go from here? How do we discern what God's purpose is for us specifically? Um, there's two big things that I want to say. And the first is that um, we have to dwell in the presence of the Lord and desire to see his glory. Moses, as difficult as his journey was, and he never got to see the promised land himself, He went up the mountain to be in the presence of the Lord. And he said, Lord, show me your glory. And it sustained him through the difficult path that God called him to. 
And you and I need to have the same practice, what, what Brother Lawrence famously called the practice of the presence of God, being in the presence of the Lord always and seeking to see his glory revealed in our lives. The second thing is this, and it's the most important thing that I'm going to say today, is that we have to keep the gospel at the center of our lives. The gospel as it is defined in scripture, as God has revealed it to us. You see, there's the necessity of grasping the beauty of the cross for our own lives. Because if it does not become the center and the treasure of our own lives, we will never be that excited about sharing it with others. And some of us have maybe lost our passion for the cross and for what Jesus did. And we're in Lent and it's a beautiful time and a beautiful season to reflect on our unworthiness and his worthiness and his making us worthy by giving his life on that cross. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, writes this. In our considerations of how we are once again to make the gospel of Christ compellingly attractive to men and women of our age, I hope we never lose sight of what makes it compelling to ourselves. I hope that we never lose sight of what makes it compelling to ourselves. You see, the gospel is not just being nice and loving There's something more fundamental to the message of the gospel. It's that Jesus Christ died to reconcile us to a God who we had rejected and had been his enemies. And he reaches out to us to make us friends by giving his life for us. I'm reading through the book of Acts, as I mentioned, and uh, in chapter 26, Paul is standing before uh, someone who's opposing the gospel, and he's trying to share the message of what God has sent him to do. And I think he just sums it up. This is the message of the gospel and what we are sent to do. And he, Paul is telling uh, telling the uh, King Agrippa what the Lord had told him. And he said, the Lord said to Paul, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's the gospel. That's the message that we're called to bear on our lips. And friends, I'm telling you right now, the world will not like that message. There will be so many people who hate that message. And there will be people whose lives are touched and changed forever because they come to know Jesus by the words that you spoke to them. That's exciting. That's exciting. And that's our mission. See, we will reach our community as a church, not because we have an attractive church facility. I mean, we do, but it's pretty nice. Uh, But because we are sent out into the world by the God who loves that world so much that he gave his son to die for it. We're sent out into that world to bring the good news to those who don't know it, who have not yet received it because we are so confident of God's promise, of Jesus's promise to us Behold, I will be with you always. Let's pray. Father, before we can go out into the world and be sent by you, uh, we need uh, the fullness of the knowledge of the gospel and what it means for us that there was a time when we followed the ways of the world and you broke into our lives and called us to follow you and to turn from those things that lead only to destruction And you've called us to follow you and to live a life of abundance. And so I ask, Lord, that you would just pour out upon us a deeper awareness and an understanding of the cross of Jesus Christ this Lent. And that our hearts would just burn as we read your word and we read about what you did for us. And we hear about it each Sunday, that our hearts would burn, come alive, Lord, so that we could not but help ourselves and share 
your love, your self-giving love with others. We pray that you would continue to release uh, new spiritual gifts on our congregation, that we would discover the things that you have for us that are, are lying dormant within us that your Holy Spirit just needs to bring to life. You said, Jesus, that uh, when we receive the Holy Spirit, that rivers of living water would pour out of us. And I pray, Lord, for those today who are thirsty for those rivers of living water, that they would uh, just turn everything over to you, Lord, right now, just say yes to you and to receive what you have to give them, the fullness of your love. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your loving kindness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.